He's going to be unpacking that passage for us this evening, and I'm going to just pray for him as he begins. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you will challenge us as this is expounded and expanded for us this evening. We pray you'll anoint Kai by your Holy Spirit, that he may bring to us these eternal truths and unpack them, that we may understand them and apply them to our lives. So be with us now as we listen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. And, well, it is lovely to be with you all again this evening. And it's lovely to be back uh, looking at the Gospel of Luke. Last week, of course, we heard of the phenomenal work about Christians Against Poverty. And so we've had a bit of a gap, but it's great to pick up the Gospel of Luke, which is our focus for our evening service this year again. And we pick it up towards the end of chapter 9. And it's fair to say, by this point, the account of Jesus, according to Luke, is very established. We have heard about how he was born. We've heard about, a bit, his early life. We have heard about his first miracles, his calling of the disciples, We've heard of his healings that he started to perform and some of the teachings he started to give. At the beginning of this particular chapter, we have seen the ministry expand as he sent out the 12 apostles to the land to go and do the work that he was doing. And they had come back. We're about halfway, perhaps, through his earthly ministry and he has established in the land. People knew who Jesus was. And he's at that point of when he was going from town to town to village to village, he had recognition. People knew who he was. And often they wanted to be a part of who he was. We've heard a lot about who Jesus is. And it reminded me actually of a few years ago I was at a clergy training event and one of the things you had to do to kind of break the ice if you will as happens at any kind of training event was do some kind of recognition with a picture so all these vicars were shown a table and on the table there were lots of pictures of Jesus and he would Jesus in all kinds of poses all kinds of ethnicities all kinds of emotions You'd have Jesus looking angry. You'd have Jesus laughing. You'd have Jesus doing, well, anything. Gathering children, healing the sick, you name it. And the question was put to us was, which Jesus do you most identify with? And when that question was asked, I looked through all the pictures, and I confess, I couldn't give an answer. And the reason I think I couldn't give an answer was, it was a bit too Simple. Think about yourself today. Maybe think about yourself this weekend. And I can almost guarantee that in this last weekend, call it this last week, there have been times when we've been frustrated. There have been times when we've laughed. There have been times when we've giggled. There have been times when we've been cross. We have a whole range of human emotions which we use in a given week, a given day, a given hour even. And Jesus, being fully human and fully God, is no different. In 
Luke so far, he has demonstrated all these emotions. He has demonstrated laughter. So many of the stories that he told were full of humour, which people would have absolutely laughed at. He's demonstrated compassion. He has demonstrated frustration with Pharisees. And now, in this particular reading, he is demonstrating something of a seriousness. And a seriousness as it would be to his disciples and us for that matter, and what it is that is expected of those who are willing to follow him. And I want to flip it a bit upside down, this particular reading, because I find the ending, the last few verses especially, just a little bit harsh. Jesus perhaps isn't quite so much being serious as he is being mean. It looks like there's three blokes who come to him individually and say, I want to be a follower. And every time they come here and say that, Jesus puts an obstacle in the way. Now contrast that to maybe how we would naturally do evangelism today. How we would naturally tell people about Jesus today. And what we would do to get people to identify with Jesus. And really, if we're being honest, and I'm certainly do this, we will do anything to make that path easy. We will do anything at all to just make sure people are comfortable coming in. Comfortable understanding who Jesus is. We will open up the doors to do anything to make it as acceptable as possible to be a follower of Jesus. And actually, most of the time, that is a right thing to do because you do see that with Jesus as well. He is open. He wants people to hear the message. He wants people to come to know him. But he's also very honest. And where he is honest with these three individuals is there is a cost to following him. It's not all easy. Your life isn't going to be perfect when you become a Christian. When you accept Christ, everything isn't going to be great straight away. And at times, it's going to be hard. A few weeks ago, we had the guys from Open Doors here talking about the persecuted church who know full well the cost of what it is to follow Jesus. And these guys who were coming to Jesus on that day would have had a huge cost to play as well. Should they have followed Jesus, it's fair to say that at some point in the years to come, their lives would have been in danger for doing so. Following Jesus comes at a cost. But does Jesus have to explain that cost in such graphic terms? Okay, you got the guy who's probably used to a little bit of a comfy life. Jesus saying, you know, foxes have holes and all the rest of it, but there's a cost to follow me you can kind of go along with. But the poor guy whose dad has just died, he's coming along and saying, look, Lord, I want to follow you, but first, let me just bury my father, will you? 
Or even the other guy who says, I want to follow you, but please, can I just say goodbye to my family first? Which, of course, Jesus says, no. Come and follow me. Now, the guy who wants to say goodbye to his family, Luke is using a deliberate reference to the calling of Elisha and Elijah. And Elisha, who left his family to walk with Elijah. And he was allowed to say goodbye to his family. But here, Jesus deliberately saying no to point out that what he was doing was more serious. What he was doing was more important. What he was doing was greater even than what Elijah and Elisha were doing. As for the guy who wanted to bury his dad, well, there's a practical thing at space there. In first century Judaism, you couldn't just take the day off work to go and bury somebody. If it was a close relative, especially a father, that would take basically a year to do. You would kind of do stuff with the body and the whole process would take a year to get to burial. This guy would have had to take a year out before he could go and follow Jesus. But that's not the point that Jesus is making. The point he is making is we need to be dedicated to him. And for us, the one thing that all these people have in common and we have in common with them is the cost of discipleship for us is to put God first. To put God above all. To put the Lord Jesus Christ above all. To put God above our status in life. To put God above our career. To put God above our aspirations. To put God above the town that we live in. To put God above pretty much anything that we hold dear. And even, painful as it is to say, to put God above our family. I always remember when Liz and I turned up at our last vicarage. And we had this church warden who literally had us on the front door to pray for us before we went in and handed the keys over. And she just said to us, remember, church is third, family is second, but God is first. And it was a really good reminder, actually, of our purpose there. And I know that when you say these things out loud, it sounds harsh. It sounds mean. It sounds inhumane to say you put God before family. But there is a flip side to all of that. Because when we put God first, we are able to have more investment in all of these other things. Because of how God's spirit moves in us, we are able to love our family more. We are able to care more. All those causes which we hold dear, we are able to invest more in. I always say, I'm at my best on a Sunday at about 12.30 and at about 8 o'clock. Because that's after the time I've come and I've worshipped and I've spent that time with the Lord. That's when I feel like, really, I'm the best husband I can be. The best dad 
I can be, the best son I can be. It's the most pleasant I can be. And then I go out into the rest of the world and I feel it robbed away. But the reason why so often I feel that good is because I've had that opportunity to spend time with God. And God has affected my whole outlook on everything else. In human terms, we can love our families this much. But in godly terms, we can love him this much. Love them this much. If we invest in God, God gives us more of himself, more of his love, more of his care, more of his compassion to love them more. And the same goes for absolutely everything else that we are into. If we could God before the care of creation we will love creation more because we start to see it more through God's eyes if we love God more than we love the desire even for other people to come to faith we'll be more invested in other people to come to faith because we are seeing it more and more through God's eyes in our humanness we can only go so far with anything It's the reason why so often we can have those breakdowns in communication with God. It's why ministries flounder and even churches flounder when we take our eyes off the Lord. There is a cost in being a disciple of the Lord. There is a huge cost in it to say, I put God first. But there's also some pretty good perks. There's some great kickbacks as a result because the more we do draw closer to God, the more we are able to care as God cares, to love as God loves and to do things in a way that God does things. But of course, at this point, the disciples have pretty much still got their training wheels on. And that is pretty evident in what happened in Samaria. About halfway through the reading, and where we start the reading, Jesus and his boys are in Samaria. And while they are there, quite the unthinkable happens, certainly for the Gospel of Luke. People don't want to hear the Gospel message People don't want to follow Jesus. People don't want to listen to Jesus. What do the disciples want to do about that? Well, they want to rain down fire from heaven upon them who don't believe. And actually, that's kind of biblical as well. There are instances in the Old Testament of the prophets doing that kind of butch thing and raining fire down from heaven. And speaking of Elijah and Elisha, was it Elisha who got the bears onto the youths for calling them baldy? There's a precedent for all of this. But Jesus rebuked them. A few years ago, Liz and I were doing some praying for people on the streets in Neath, down in South Wales, Melody. And... (laughs) While we were there, I got into a conversation with this geezer. And this bloke comes on to me and starts asking me loads of questions. I answered them, and he went away. He came back a little bit fraught, and he asked me a lot of questions again. 
He stomped his feet and was getting quite upset and he walked away. He came back a third time and that was it. He went away. And he said to me, I'm going to rain down fire from heaven on you. And he went and stood outside Marks and Spencer and he had a go. <laughs> he started to rain down the fire from heaven and just for that split second, I was utterly terrified of what could happen. As it turned out, nothing happened and he disappeared to the bus station. But the thought was there to rain down fire from heaven. I don't know what this guy's deal was and bless him, I hope he's all right. But it was clear he had a dislike for what we were doing. And it was very similar to how the disciples felt there in Samaria when these Samaritans dare not listen to who Jesus was. But Jesus rebuked them. And in doing so, taught us, as his disciples here today, something else of the cost of following him. And that is, you can't make people believe. What's more, you can't scare people into believing. They wanted to punish those people for not believing in Jesus. And really, underneath it all, They wanted to scare the survivors into following Jesus. You can't scare people into following Jesus. People might come with their own fears. People might come with their own fears of what might happen to them after death. And that's absolutely fair enough. But if our starting point is fear, if our starting point is rage, if our starting point is fire, then actually we can be on dodgy ground. Because that isn't where Jesus was. And don't get me wrong. I actually believe there is eternal punishment. I believe there is a cost for those who don't follow Jesus. I don't want to lessen that. But if we major on it, then so often people miss the message because all they see from us isn't love, isn't Christ. It's rage. It's anger. It's malice. And that's not really the way of Jesus throughout all of his ministry. Whether he is laughing, whether he is angry, whether he's cross, whether he's turning tables at the temple, he has always got the love of people in mind. He's always got their salvation in mind. He's always got the purpose of why he came to earth in the first place in mind. And we can't control people. If Jesus can control people into following him and in believing in him, we ain't got a chance. All we can do is point the way to him and point the way to his example. And Jesus taught us the greatest example that there was at the beginning of the passage. Here we are. Chapter 9 of, I think it's 24, in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 9, and we hear already that Jesus has set his eyes on Jerusalem. This is the beginning of the journey to Jerusalem. It's a long journey. It's a very eventful journey. 
It's a journey that will have so many more challenges and stories and everything else happening as a result of it. But it is made clear right here that this is Jesus' purpose. To go to Jerusalem. To suffer in Jerusalem. To be crucified and to rise again from the dead. To bring about the salvation for the whole world. For all who call upon his name. Jesus is demonstrating his purpose in this most incredible act of love that the world has ever seen, that the world will ever see. And he affirms always what his purpose is. His purpose is the salvation of all people. His purpose is the forgiveness of sins. And his purpose is for everyone who is to follow him to truly be his disciples. While here on earth to live a life for him, while here on earth to constantly point towards him, while here on earth to demonstrate who he is in all parts of life, while here on earth to live out the gospel, to live out the good news, to live out what it means to be his follower until he returns or calls us home. And that's our charge as disciples of Christ. And to take it all the way back to the beginning to those people who knew the cost but didn't want to follow it. Perhaps they didn't want to follow it because they didn't want to hold up to the truth of who Jesus is. Perhaps they didn't want to follow it because the cost for themselves was too great. Perhaps they didn't want to follow it because really their heart wasn't in it. But Jesus' heart is in everything. Jesus' heart is in all. And even here, he is showing it by fulfilling and starting the fulfillment of his purposes. Carrying it on even. Because since the fall of humanity, that's when Jesus was coming to do what he would do. It's a lovely word, discipleship. It's a nice word to think of ourselves as being a disciple of Christ. But it's a word that carries a huge weight. I might have said it before, but it's worth repeating that the word disciple essentially means to be a student, but not a student in a university with a union. To be a disciple in the ancient world would have been to follow a master, to sleep at their door, to learn everything about them, and to try and emulate what they would do. Are we willing to do that for Jesus? And are we willing to give him the glory? Are we willing to put him first in our lives? And are we willing to allow him to work? The Christian life, the disciple life, isn't the easiest life. There are no guarantees. But it is the best life. 
because we get to walk with Jesus. And we want others to do the same as well. May people all over see who Jesus really is. May we learn more and more about who Jesus is to us. And may we daily grow to be his disciples. And please don't try and rain down fire from heaven either. It'll just go wrong. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we do give thanks for your word. And we give thanks for the fullness of Jesus. We give thanks that he was fully human, fully God, and he is fully human, fully God. We give thanks for the whole range of emotions that he demonstrated, from laughter to his tears to his teaching and his hard teaching as well. And we give thanks that he set his eyes towards Jerusalem. We give thanks that he took that long journey to the cross and that he did it all for us as well. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to never forget that and the world would never rob that from us, that knowledge of you. And we pray, Lord, that tonight, as perhaps the question has arisen for us once again, are you willing to follow me? We will be willing. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to put you first. We pray that with the power of your spirit, you would be number one. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would be the main thing above all things. And we pray that all the other things that there are in our life will be affected by who you are. And in all that we do, and whether that is work, whether it's play, whether it's talk to strangers, whether it's catch a bus, whatever we do, you would be in all we are your disciples we pray Lord that you would sustain us by the power of your spirit and continue to bless us we pray and I pray Lord that the sense that we can get from worshipping you the closest that we have from worshipping you would not depart and we would follow you wherever you call us to go Jesus. Amen. Let's stay in this place now. to respond.